Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Today, Erica Gerdes is my uh, guest, and I'm really excited to have her on because Erica is an authenticity advocate. She's a speaker, a writer, and a coach whose mission is to make the world better kinder and more joyful. I think we can all agree that we could use a lot more of that. She's the designer of The Art of Undoing, which helps people undo who they think they should be, unlock who they are to become. Now, Erica is a former global business executive at Google, where she worked for 12 years before leaving at the height of her career as a single mom to empower people to embrace their authenticity and amplify their impact. Today, as Erica and I talk, we will think about how you can find your own place of authenticity, how to act in courage. We talk about the cornerstones of building that authenticity and how to move into a place where you're feeling how you're feeling, what's going on in you actually points you the direction you need to go to find your deepest place of meaning, of purpose, and of authenticity by undoing. So with that, welcome Erica Gertis. Erica, thank you so much for being here. I'm really looking forward to talking with you. I know that your journey has gone right through the business world, but back to more of a true self. So tell us a little bit about how you got to here, and then we're going to talk about what here is and, and how others can learn from that. I got to here in a very tangled path, I would say. Uh, it started out with the well-worn path, and I, I got off of it after a long time, but I actually worked at Google for 12 years. I started in 2006 in the headquarters of Google in, in California, and it was actually the only place I wanted to work, and I, ne- I didn't even apply there because I didn't think I was going to get a job, um, and the way that I did was by answering an anonymous ad on Craigslist, <laughs> so it was like the universe was conspiring to support my my dreams even when I didn't. Um, and I worked there for 12 years and had a wonderful go there, um, you know, cl- climbed the corporate ladder, moved up the, the rung, so to speak. Um, and after quite a while and a number of very difficult personal hardships, I finally realized that I wasn't doing what really made my heart feel full and what filled my soul. Instead, I was doing, I was spending my time um, for a paycheck and not for passion. And so when I really got honest with myself, I knew that I wanted to serve more people and make a bigger impact in the world by using my gifts and what I felt super passionate and curious about. And so um, just actually two years ago yesterday was my last day at Google. And I left as a single mom with two little kids, no financial support, um, all the things that nobody does. I did. Um, I jumped off the cliff and I started a business speaking and coaching and writing and basically teaching all about how how to live in fuller range, because I believe that we all have a yearning for more in our lives. And for a long time, more to me me meant more achievement, more accomplishment, more stuff. And I realize now that most of us, when we're looking for that, we we're looking for it from a place of believing that there's an emptiness inside of us. And the more that we can look inside and really discover the wholeness that each of us actually has, the more that we can live into full range and have greater impact. 
Okay, so I'm kind of curious about the. Here's Google. The, by the way, answering anonymous ads. Let's not. Let's just not put that out as the, the normal method to get where you want to. No, but it's not. It worked perfectly for you. So, um, but was it Google itself? I mean, did you? That was where you wanted to be. But did mm-hmm. that? Was it that you weren't in the right place in Google, or that you put your ladder up against the wrong wall? I think I was, I, I really believe that everything happens the way it should in order to help us learn what we need to learn. And for me, most of my greatest lessons and most significant pivot points happened from the uh, deepest valleys or trenches that I was in, the most difficult hardships that I experienced. And so everything really came to a culmination. Um, when my second daughter was born, she was born with a tumor on her spinal cord, which we didn't know about until after she was two weeks old. And so, you know, I had lived my entire life doing everything I should do and becoming everything I should become and be the person I should be. Uh, and, you know, I, I collected all the gold stars and did all the things. And no matter how much I did or how uh, high I climbed, it never felt like enough. And as I sat in the hospital with my daughter, who at the time was three months old, having a seven and a half hour spinal neurosurgery. Wow. Yeah. It was so far off of any plan that I have ever imagined for my life that it really brought everything into perspective in a way I'd never had to even think about before because I had lived a pretty good, easy, quote unquote, life up to that point. And I, I got very honest with myself in that moment. And um, this thought broke through that totally changed my life as I was sitting there mad at God and mad at you know the world and everything else. And the thought was, you have one life to live. There are no second chances, no do-overs. You get one go round at this life. Why would you spend one more minute waiting to be happy? And I, in that moment, really realized that I was waiting for my life to start. I was 33 years old, and I was just kind of waiting for everything to fall into place and waiting for people to change and situations to improve until I finally felt okay. And it was then that I started saying, okay, if I want things, if I want my life to change, I have to take responsibility for that. I can't just keep waiting for it. Um, And as a result of that, I uh, got very honest first that my marriage wasn't the marriage that was ever going to bring me long time fulfillment. And the reason was because I wasn't being myself. I got married and became the person I thought he was, he wanted me to be. And the more that I became myself, the less our marriage worked. And then after um, divorcing and being very amicable and uh, co-parenting very, very well, I started realizing I'm sacrificing myself in a lot of other ways too. And the other major way was that I wasn't being myself at work. I was going through the motions and saying all the things I should say and being the person I should be. And when I was honest, it wasn't the thing that brought me fulfillment and the way that I felt like I could truly serve. So it all comes down for me to that probably hardest day of my life, which was sitting there waiting for my daughter to come out of surgery and then watching her, you know, breathe through a ventilator at three months old. So I'm going to just close the loop for listeners. How's your daughter? Well, I I used to be able to say, um, you know, I'll skip to the end and say she's okay. And um, when she was in the hospital, when she was three months old, the doctor said she has a 50% chance of needing other surgeries Mm. in the future. And she, you know, came out of surgery and our human body is the most amazing thing and hers healed so quickly, especially as infants that they, mm-hmm. you know, they just, <laughs> they're already growing so much that she just grew, grew through it so quickly. And now, unfortunately, right in the middle of the pandemic, we discovered that she's going to need another neurosurgery. Oh, so wow. 
yeah, we're sort of staring down the um, the gun at needing another significant one and probably two to three more in the future. So we don't know exactly when that is. We're in that kind of terrible waiting place of waiting for her symptoms to get worse without waiting until they get too much worse yeah. and irreparable. So anyway, she's okay. Uh, and it's going to be difficult. Still a challenge. Yes. Yes. But you know what I, one of the things that I believe is true um, is that again, all of our hardships are really intended to help us learn. And one of the things that I'm trying to help her with is recognizing that this is an experience that she has, not something she is. I don't want for this surgery or the tumor and the challenges that she has to become an identity, either because she is a victim or because it becomes her like way of being a hero and getting attention. And it's just an experience that will help make her stronger, more resilient. That's a, a powerful distinction. I mean, just to, as a lesson in life for all of us to just yeah. to, to kind of go back to that, the difference between being something that happens yes. to you and having had that happen. There's a, that's a very clear distinction. Well, and th- yes, I, I so agree. And it's it's something that I don't think I would have discovered if it weren't for, I mean, I, I knew this, uh, you know, all along with her, but I didn't see how it applied to my life until mm-hmm. it happened to me. And my experience was so not, you know, on that same um severity level. But when I left Google, <clears throat> I thought I had done all the hard inner work of, you know, coming to terms with leaving this, the security and the paycheck and the insurance and doing all of the, you know, hard, scary things. And then I left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and doing is a lot harder than, you know, learning about or reading about or thinking about, uh, which is the reason so many of us don't actually go do this stuff that we think we want to do. Um, and when I left, I discovered that it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And what the hardest part, the thing that was the biggest reality check for me was that, um, when I left and people would say, so what do you do? I would say, well, I'm a a coach and a speaker and a writer, but I worked at Google for 12 years and I couldn't even control it. It's just, I mean, it was such a reactive, um, automatic response for me to immediately justify myself and my my worthiness by adding the fact that I worked at Google for 12 years uh, to whatever I was doing. And so what I realized was my entire identity and self-worth was wrapped up in where I worked and what I did. And without it, I felt super exposed and vulnerable. And it made me realize that you know, when before I left, everybody talked about, oh, I just, I just wish I could undo these golden handcuffs. And what I realized is our golden handcuffs are not in our jobs. They're in these identities that keep us locked into the lives that we don't find fulfilling. And we're so afraid to undo those golden handcuffs that actually exist in our identities, which are self-identified and self-defined, and then just pervasive through our through our cultures. That is how we actually create freedom for ourselves is when we are no longer defined by what we call ourselves, the labels that we use or what we do. So I'm struck um, just how this is fitting together. You you talked about how you had been waiting for things to fall into place Mm -hmm. and waiting and waiting and realizing that that was you. In, In some ways, what that means is that things are already in place. Yes. So can you talk some more about that, the falling into place versus them being in place? Well, you know, for a long time, I, 
I was, as much as I dislike using this term because I consider myself a strong, independent woman, um, person, I was a victim of circumstance. And I believed that the circumstances need to be perfect in order for me to feel good or happy or whatever. And so I was basically just, I was disempowering myself by waiting for the circumstances to change. Um, Instead, I shifted, and this is through a lot of years of work and therapy and all the other stuff that comes along with, um, you know, becoming more authentic, I, I realized that I need to be a student of the universe instead. And I need, instead of saying everything happens for a reason, I think we can say, I can learn from everything that happens. And so things are always as they should be because they're always what's happening. It's not the circumstances we can ever control, ever. We can't control the pandemic happens. We can't control whether somebody loves us. We can't control whether we keep a job, but we can control how we think about it and what we learn from it. And so I think you're right. I needed every single one of those experiences to teach me in order for me to get to where I am right now. And whatever experiences people are having in their lives, I believe the universe is always conspiring to support our transformation and our growth. And that those are exactly the experiences that can help us learn, even and most often the hardest ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got plenty of opportunities for growth. It depends yes. on whether, whether we're going to take advantage of them. And I, I love the distinction of the difference between being able to learn from something and having you know somehow the world the the universe doing it to you and and again yes. that's that's part of that um is it my identity piece that you're talking about with your daughter that this happened to her it's not her yes, and, and yes. so there's an extension to that that uh, i think is an important part to that you've mentioned several times undoing mm-hmm. so let's let's touch on that and and dive a little bit deeper into what does that mean to undo <laughs> The way that it started was that when I left Google and was panicked because I didn't know what my identity was and I felt, so two years ago right now, I was kicking off what I was calling um, the month of fun and relaxation because this was right after I left Google and I thought, oh, I'm going to take the month off and it's going to be great. I'm going to sit on my couch and eat bonbons and watch Hallmark Christmas movies all month long. That is exactly the opposite of what Because that's what high achievers like to do. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Because I forgot who I am. Um, (laughs) It's true because we do. We think, oh, I'm going to magically go somewhere else and change. But no, we take ourselves wherever we go and our baggage comes with us until we like unpack it. Um, So, yes, I, I really forgot who I was and that's not the way it worked. And so when I. Relaxation, it was anything but fun and relaxing. Um, instead, without KPIs and meetings to fill my days, I didn't know how to like navigate my days. And I just kept sort of throwing things at the wall, trying to find a way to like prove my worth and, and demonstrate that I was adding value and basically have check boxes to, or I mean, check boxes to, to mark off and all of the other, you know, things that high achievers like to do. Uh, and I realized I was, I was actually kind of going crazy a little bit. And so I started joking with friends that I was practicing the art of undoing as in literally stop doing things, just stop doing. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever tried to not do. And, um, because I'm a doer and when I sat with it for a long time, I really realized that we do, we have to stop doing all of these things reactively in order to settle in and discover who we actually are. And so undoing became a a multi-layered 
sort of idea. And what I ultimately realized is I've been practicing undoing for years. I just didn't have a name for it. And what I now think of it as is we undo these layers of who we think we should be and who we um, used to be and also who we can't be in order to free ourselves to embrace and discover who we are and who we are to become. Because most of what we are doing, we're doing habitually, reactively, or um, out of fear. And when we do those things, it really keeps off us from actually knowing who we are. And that's especially true for, I think it's true for all of us, but especially a lot of high achievers hide behind doing. Um, we all are hiding behind things. I call them our, our shields or our reactive patterns. And um, we have to be willing to be courageous enough to let go of those shields or drop those shields and let go of those patterns in order to discover how amazing we actually are underneath it. And so that's what undoing is. So those reactive patterns, the shields, mm-hmm. where do they come from? I think they come from a lot of different places. I think they come from our culture. I mean, uh, they they are these very unconscious protect self-protection. So, I mean, I know you know this for your audience who may or may not. Um, the majority of our behavior is unconscious. So, somewhere around the 90 to 95% mark of everything that we think and do is unconscious and is motivated by our memories, our um, emotions, and our experiences. And one of the most powerful emotions that we experience as human beings and basically every animal is fear. So the majority of what is actually dictating or motivating our unconscious behavior, those reactive patterns, is fear. And if we think about it from a, from a survival standpoint, in order to survive, we need to be accepted by the tribe. We are, um, a, cult, we are a, a species that cannot survive on our own, especially when we're young. So we learn very early who we need to be and how we need to act in order to be accepted by those people around us for whom we depend or by, uh, from whom we depend on their survival. Um, and so those things get written into our script so, so early. And then we just keep repeating them and keep repeating them. And at a certain point, they become like white noise in our heads that we don't even hear that there, these are stories that are telling us how to act or who, who we should you know, be. Um, and instead, they just become our belief systems. And at some point, while we may not have been in control of putting those belief systems into place, it becomes our responsibility to excavate them take a look at them and decide if they are the paradigms that we want to live by or if we want to make different, more conscious decisions in order to live with more intention and full range. And for you, that the place where, I mean, because the patterns were there, right? I mean, you had the patterns and the high achieving and all the other yeah. being, being uh, accepted for what you do and all those other messages. Mm-hmm. And at some point you went, okay, done with that. The impetus for that sounds like the kind of not, not the necessarily the impetus, but let's say the last straw was sounding like your daughter having this medical uh, issue emergency that um, kind of unraveled it for you that you realized you have that one life to live. What are you going to do is, is are there other ways to get there? Because most people don't want to wait until yeah. <laughs> they're sitting in uh, the waiting room or watching their own health disintegrate. Yes, and I'm so glad you asked that. Part of the reason I share my journey and that I teach what I teach now is because I don't think that we need to wait for those things. Um, Every single moment is an opportunity for us to choose something different. And I say that um, 
when we are willing to choose intentionally versus reactively, that is an opportunity for us to begin changing our lives. It can happen any moment. And as we talked about earlier, I really believe that our lives are our playgrounds and our classrooms for improving and changing and growing as long as we are willing to look at them that way. When we believe that circumstances need to be a certain way, then we will just keep waiting. We'll keep, you know, sort of kicking the can down the road. But when we are able to shift, whether that comes from a hardship or whether that comes from just a single moment as you're walking down the street, any opportunity is an opportunity to start to to, um, think and act with more intention. And it starts by becoming more aware that we actually are in control of that and start by paying attention to, oh, I'm not actually my thoughts. These are just the things that my brain does. Um, And so, you know, most of the people that come to me come to me because they've experienced, uh, for coaching, private coaching, they come to me because they've experienced some hard feedback or they've been rejected or, you know, things have just been going on too long the way they were. They just feel stuck. Most of us have these little things. These are like, I I call them like our roadblocks that are trying to get us to slow down and pay attention to the highway that we're (laughs) speeding down. And if we're able to and willing to pay attention to those things, then we don't have to wait till the universe throws up a dead end and tells us you can't go any further or a roadblock that stops you in your tracks. But I do think that the universe really is trying to get us to pay attention a lot more so that we get off of the path that everybody else is on and get onto the path that is actually intended for us. Um, uh, And, you know, my body for years was sending me cues and clues that I was going in the wrong direction. I was diagnosed with Meniere's disease. I had severe vertigo when uh, I was a freshman in college. I didn't pay any attention to it. I didn't even look at what the canary in the coal mine was trying to tell me. Um, and instead, I just looked at it as a you know frustrating annoyance that was keeping me from achieving. <laughs> so we can look at all of these things as opportunities to go deeper. Your, your body was literally saying you're off balance. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I I call them now canary in the coal mine. And so, you know, for anybody who's not familiar, canaries in coal mines were intended to be uh, an early cue to miners that there was something wrong and that they could get out of a mine very quickly before, you know, something detrimental happened. I think that our bodies are telling us this all the time, whether it's a migraine or it's, uh, you know, stomach problems or it's vertigo or whatever it happens to be. Yes, that is a symptom, but it's not always a symptom of, you know, just take some Advil and cover it up with a Band-Aid. It's what is your body actually telling you? What is this canary trying to tell you? Yeah. And and so as you're going through, I mean, I had an experience, my, my own health crisis that led me to kind of make some pretty big shifts. But um, I, I find it um, helpful for people to not have to get to that point. <laughs> Yes. So part of what I hear, though, is this um, your belief that we're just to kind of bring some pieces together. We're where we are and there is a place there's something to be learned from there. And there's a place to pivot to that we can get rid of the old patterns that brought us to where we are. You know, something got us to here. And the question is, you know, what's going to get us to there? And so then the two questions are, what's the there and how are you going to get there? Mm-hmm. So what is the, what was helpful for you and discovering kind of the purpose that other people might learn from your, your own sense of meaning and purpose? How did you construct that? How did you discover it, build it? I'm going to start with a slightly different answer if that's okay. okay. Yeah, sure. What I really know to be true 
for myself at this point, and I, I would say I believe, but I think it goes beyond that for me at least, is that I call it authenticity. So authenticity is, um, you know, a very cliched term at this point, and you can get all kinds of, um, you know, pretty images on Pinterest or, or Etsy or whatever. And what it actually means is to be the author of our lives. If you look at the etymology of it, the um, Latin derivation is actually um, authority or to be the author. And so what that means is instead of believing that we're just, you know, a character in a story that's being written about us, that we can actually take the pen and paper back and choose what words to write next. But that also means that we are in the process of writing the story with every single word, every single sentence, and every single chapter that we decide to write. So we don't actually know what there is because we're in the process of creating it, crafting it with every single step that we take. So I love Joseph Campbell. I think he's one of the most amazing minds of our modern era. And one of the things that he says is if you can see the path in front of you, you know it's not your path because your path is the one that you create with every step that you take. And I think that that is true. And the challenge is for so many of us, that's so scary to, to go from the place of certainty and safety to the unknown where we're creating everything anew. And I believe that in order to get there, we have to sort of depend on a few cornerstones. Um, and so for me, authenticity is truly a feeling practice. It's not a seeing practice. And when we can know our truth because we feel it from inside, that is how we know we're going in the right direction, not because we can see it in front of us. And so I spend a lot of time talking to people about what I mean by a feeling practice, but it really is that abil ability to sort of go inward and feel a knowing feeling, this sort of like resonance. Um, and you do know it when you feel it. And you also have to know what it feels like to be out of alignment, to be off of that. Most of us know that really, really well. We just don't know what it also feels like to be in alignment. And I think you have to really be able to feel both um, so that you can make your decisions and pivots based on that feeling versus the seeing. And I think that some other sort of cornerstones in this um, are courage. And I always suggest that people start by writing their own life stories because you will always find places in your life where you have acted in courage. And the more that you can remember that this isn't the first time you've done it, this is just another time. The easier it is to keep acting in courage. Faith is another big one because if we think we're doing this all alone, it's a whole lot harder to keep going. And so um, I like to think of that as a God of your own understanding, which is, I think, what similar to what AA says. It's G Gabby Bernstein is the one who introduced me to that concept. And I, it freed me up so much that I didn't have to use religion. I could, I could make this what made sense for me. Um, and the other big one is self-care. Because if we don't, if we aren't taking care of our bodies, then we aren't able to actually feel very well. And if our bodies are literally in a place of survival, it is almost impossible for us to move into a place of thriving. So when we know more about sort of those foundations and are established in those foundations, it becomes so much easier for us to have that ability to move forward toward uncertainty, but that is also authenticity. It's interesting as if, if I go back a little bit, you talked about the golden handcuffs and, and my observation is that people deal with that because that, that is a place of being out of alignment mm -hmm. and you're, you're trading off the captivity for a paycheck or prestige or position or whatever it is. There's something that's more anchoring to you and the people deal with that in, in one of two different ways. If they don't, 
pivot to where you're going. They either um, live in misery mm-hmm. or numb the pain. Yes. And so you're talking about um, feeling it, which is the misery part, right? Feeling it, but then doing something with that, somehow using that to um, to find something that resonate, resonates with you. Can you walk through a little bit of how that process worked? I mean, here you are at Google, some mm-hmm. the place you wanted to be, yep. the place you spent a lot of years, and mm-hmm. you go, oh, no, I'm jumping off. <laughs> if only it were that easy. <laughs> uh, and and I think, you know, that this is another um misconception that I had is that once you make a decision, it's made. (laughs) 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 And once you change something, it's changed forever. You done and dusted. And that's not the way it works, unfortunately. And that's why I started with tangled path to authenticity, because most of my lessons, I had to relearn and relearn and relearn and relearn and relearn. And the decisions I made, I had to choose multiple times before I finally said, okay, okay, I'm, I'm, I think I got it. I'm going to move forward. And so for me, um, it, it all started with the hospital and then it became a practice of um, really tuning into myself and paying attention to how I felt and and uh, anchoring myself in self-care and listening to what was true for me and then honoring that. And then it was, you know, getting divorced and going through that really hard, long experience, which was a year and a half of separation in the same house, switching bedrooms every two weeks. So that was really hard. But that shift right there was um, the first time that I ever actually said, I am going to sit in this pain instead of numb it. Because most of my life, I had been numbing it by doing things or um, I had I suffered from eating disorders or, you know, all these other things that I was doing to basically just offload the pain. And instead, I sat in it. And I realized that I could I could actually survive. And the more that I allowed myself to to sort of move through the pain, the more it actually, I went through it and got past it as opposed to trying to skip over it and then going right back to square one again and again. Um, And then, you know, after a lot of other practice, I had two projects that I was really, really excited about at Google. And I thought they were going to make a name for me. And, you know, I was going to be able to check all these boxes and instead they failed two of them um, at the exact same time. And they were massive global failures. And I, it was the biggest failure I ever experienced because I was as a perfectionist and sufferer of imposter syndrome, I always stayed far away from failure. Um, And I thought I was going to get fired. And in in that really dark moment, I remember walking around crazily in my um, bedroom and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to live under, I I imagined myself packing up my boxes at Google. And then the next instant was packing up my house and living under a bridge with my children. And in that moment, one I like, continuous movement, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which is, by the way, what most people think. They think that if uh-huh. I leave my job, I'm going to immediately, like, yep, I'm living <laughs> under a bridge. That is like the next step. There is nothing in between. It's this or this. Uh, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and it, I caught myself, and I, I, I looked at myself in the eye, and I thought, oh my god, I look. First of all, I look crazy. Um, second is this worth it? Mm-hmm. Is all of this stress and anxiety and not being present to my children and not eating and not sleeping, is this worth it? Is this taking me to where I really want to go? And again, it was one of those like really hard moments. And the honest answer in that moment was no, because I could see straight down the path and I could see where this was going. And I could see that like, yes, I, you know, probably maybe I'm not going to get fired. Maybe I'll keep climbing the corporate ladder and eventually be- become a CMO or something. Is that really what I want? Is that how I want to spend my life energy? 
And the answer was no. And that was the most inconvenient truth. And it made me cry harder Mm. (laughs) because it's all I knew. Um, And so, uh, but that set me on the journey to start actually looking for what was true for me and getting a lot more honest. And that is always the hard thing for most of us is to be willing to ask ourselves the hard questions and stick around to wait for the answers. I'm, I'm just imagining this pivot from, um, I hope they don't fire me to, I hope they fire me. <laughs> you have no idea how many people I actually coach on this exact topic because you're right. Like if I had gotten fired, I would have gotten severance. That would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> Let them build the, 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 the yeah. escape hatch instead of having to take a leap. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes, exactly. And that, you know, it's funny because now I say, cause I've learned so much now I say, you know, if you know, you want to go do something else, like use this as the perfect playground to start expanding your own range and practicing going bigger. And, you know, don't wait to leave to like start testing stuff, test it now, because the worst thing that happens is you get fired and get severance. <laughs> and the more that we can like, use these safe spaces to practice and take baby steps. And I call it market research. The, the, the bigger the steps become and then the easier it becomes to make massive change further down the road. But if we keep waiting to make changes, that just is kicking the can down the road. And then we have to start small then. And I waited until after I left to start making a lot of the, 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 you know, bigger changes, I could have got been getting paid a lot of money to, expand my range and still be where I am. But, you know, I, I wouldn't have been because I needed to go through exactly what I went through in order to be able to teach people, hopefully a faster, less painful way of doing it. It's interesting though. And even in your, as you talked about that, you know, you talked about you're in this project, the project fails and you go, Oh, I failed. Yes. Which is different than, well, that experiment failed. Absolutely. And that's, but that was a key lesson for me. And that was a huge pivot point because I had never, I mean, I literally wouldn't even go to a golf course because I didn't want to look stupid um, whiffing a ball, even though I'd never played golf before. And like, who cares what anybody else thinks? And who cares if I whiff a ball? I couldn't do it because Mm -hmm. I, I I was so sort of handcuffed uh, again to, you know, my own identity. Um, And so the idea of failing at something that I had worked for two years to build and could see how it was going to, you know, launch my career into the stratosphere. And it was going to do a lot of good because I really wanted to serve the greater good and all these other things. Um, when it failed, that was, and I didn't get fired and instead got celebrated because I had taken a risk and I had tried to go bigger. It was a failure forward. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I had actually fall, fallen forward. Um, and it made me realize okay, I've been playing it safe for way too long. If I can fail at this and not be a failure and instead be celebrated, maybe I can start taking bigger risks. Yeah. I, one of the things that I have found for myself is is just one of those, um, remind myself of the the beginner mind, right? That yes. why should I know how to do something if I've never done that? Uh, I, I have, up until pandemic, and we mentioned that a little while, up until pandemic, I was uh, going and, and doing jujitsu multiple times in a week. I, I started there uh, now, it'll be three years this January, but I've been off now since, you know, March. And Uh, So, but for those two and some months, you know, one of the things I had to remind myself every time I went in is why would I, why should I know how to do this new move they're about to teach me? I mean, what, 
why should I? Why should I not be bad at it? Because I've never done it before. And and one of the things that as I've talked to people, they're like, man, I wouldn't want to do that. And I'm like, why? And they're, they would say, well, it'd be so embarrassing to not know what to do. And I'm like, but why would you? I mean, when have you ever done that before? And so, you know, this whole mindset we have that we might not be good at something keeps us from trying some of these experiments. And more than that, keeps us embarrassed if we do have a, a failure point. I couldn't agree with you more. I love the beginner mind. And I think what keeps us stuck, I mean, yes, they're at the surface, it's that embarrassment, but it really ends up being this protection, identity protection, mm-hmm. right? Like I need to show up as having it all together or as, you know, being an expert or Feel whatever confident. it is. Yeah. But yes, exactly. And that usually, you know, goes to a much deeper thing. And so when we stay on the surface and we only tackle the you know, I don't want to be embarrassed, then we're going to keep having these experiences where we don't want to be embarrassed. But if we go to a deeper level and say, but what's that really about? Like, what am I really trying to protect here? And what's at risk? Um, Then it actually frees us up to, I think, as I call it, expand your range so much more and have so much more joy. Because I, I really believe, and I didn't know this, and I wouldn't have agreed with it before, but that the door through to joy comes from fear because they, I think, are on both ends of the spectrum. And you can't, when we sort of reduce our aperture as a way to avoid pain and fear, we also then avoid um, or, you know, prevent our ability to experience joy and happiness. And so we have to be willing to like go do the scary things in order to go have the amazing experiences too. So I think that's great. So one of the things that I've, I've talked about with fear is that uh, fear is an importance indicator. It tells you, and the more fear you have, the more important something is, but we've learned to use it as an avoidance indicator. Like I want to stay away from that. Right. And hold that away. And uh, so instead of going, Oh, I'm feeling fear. That must be something important. I need to I need to notice. And even if it's, you know, I use the example, I'm, I'm running on a trail, which I typically do. And there's something squiggly on the path. My fear needs to say, Hey, that might be important. I might need to pay attention. So even in a survival place, the fear is still saying, pay attention to this instead of get away from this. You just need to pay attention to this because I might still want to go down that trail, you know, and still, still do that. But if it's not, if it doesn't provoke fear, it's probably not a big deal. I just wrote an article talking about this yesterday because I used to believe that fear was a a virtual do not enter or stop sign. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, you know, the first sign of fear, I thought, nope, no, 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 I'm going to get back on the safe path, stay stay right there. And it ended up narrowing my range so Mm -hmm. much that I basically, you know, I it was very, very small. What I was, I was only willing to do the things that were safe. And, um, and you're absolutely right. Now I see fear as I'm probably headed in the right direction because it means that I'm expanding out of my comfort zone and that's hard. And it can be really painful sometimes because it's not comfortable to, to, you know, sit in the unknown all the time and it's necessary for our growth. And that's that thing you talked about resonance and being out of alignment. And sometimes people have assumed that if they feel fear, wrong thing, you know, yes. it's, it's not, there's a resonance that you're talking about that's below that, that you could go, oh man, that scares me to death. But yes, that feels right. 
That's absolutely different. yes, and and this goes back to the feeling practice of authenticity because um, and I actually I'm finishing my first book right now and wrote about this in my book, which hopefully it stays in it, um, because I really think it's important for people to be able to understand the different feelings of fear, resistance, which is sort of like a mask of fear, and then truth, um, and I I call it truth with a capital T, um, and fear to me like real fear feels like um, uh, if I had a handful of marbles and I dropped them on the ground and everything scattered out and it, you know, your energy inside of your body just goes haywire and it goes all over the place and it's very dissonant. Um, on the other hand, truth, the things that we want to lean into and get more curious about, they can feel very jittery, but there's also this, it almost feels like the energy falls into line, um, like everything starts marching in order or something. And it is that being able to distinguish the difference between those is so important because they can feel very similar at the surface. So let's say that uh, I think that it's fair that most of us are living a little smaller than we should. Um, yes. Some of us a lot smaller than we should. And I'll say that for myself. Um, so what what might be, let's say that somebody is wanting to, you've got four cornerstones, authenticity, courage, faith, self-care. Let's just start in with the authenticity. Let's say that somebody wanted to connect a little bit with their, do a, a feeling practice. Yep. Uh, what would be a good place? Because- what I want to do is have some place of res. If, if it resonates with people, they go, Oh, that was helpful. Then mm-hmm. they, we can send them to your website. Just, yeah. <laughs> we'll well, yes. so, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so let's start with that though. How could somebody get, what's, what's a beginning point for that feeling practice? Okay. So um, I'm just going to back up really fast. So authenticity mm-hmm. is sort of the, the goal and the way to get there. So there are, um, I actually, so I missed one of the cornerstones. There are five cornerstones, but it's, it's courage and faith, um, self-care, or I guess it is, well, anyway, I'm not even going to try to name them or I mean number them, but um, courage and faith, self-care, values and mission, and then uh, feeling. So f- the feeling practice, so we'll go to the feeling since you mentioned mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, t- it really is about actually, starting to feel the energy in your body. Most of us walk around, myself included for the majority of my life, I thought I was my my thoughts and I thought I paid all attention to what was going on in my head, like had no idea that there was a body attached to it for the most part, except for when it would scream at me because it would, you know, I would pay, I wouldn't pay attention to it for so long that it would say, the only way for me to pay attention is because it would, you know, get injured or sick or whatever. Um, so I always start with uh, actually helping people feel the energy in their body. And the way to do that is actually without moving your fingers, um, try to focus your attention on your fingertips and see if you can feel the buzzing inside of your fingers. And then the more you do that, the more you start to wake up the energy in your body and feel it. And it's really amazing to realize that it's always been there. You just had no idea it was there all along. And um, when we start paying attention to what our, how our bodies feel, it becomes much easier to focus on when our survival instinct is cued. And I think on a recent episode, you were talking about um, the, uh, I don't remember what you called it, but the... Um, the, the energy in your body was activated, um, the adrenaline started pumping and your heart rate started going. 
when our survival instincts are activated, uh, those happen well before conscious thought. Mm -hmm. Again, going back to the unconscious behaviors. So if we are triggered by something, most of the time, the physical trigger happens before we even notice it um, like rationally. And so when we can start to pay attention to the fact that our body just did this, it becomes a lot easier for us to actually begin to make changes before our, our you know, thoughts head down the wrong direction and we're so far down the path that we didn't even realize we you know are there um so again i always say start with feeling because the more you focus on your feeling the easier it is to begin to control your thoughts that's an important distinction so um feeling some people like their feelings you know my feelings yes. got hurt you're yes. talking about feelings literally You're, feeling and, <laughs> yes. um so and, and one of the things you know we throw around the word mindfulness so much these days and i was listening to this um these this podcast interview and this person was talking about mindfulness and this per the other person the host kept going for mindfulness practice, you know, meditation and all these things. And she's like, no, I'm just talking about being mindful, like being aware. That's yes. just aware. And what you're describing is focusing on awareness. Yes, absolutely. And I, I try to sometimes at least avoid some of the overused words because of this exact thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, so much of the time we're using the same words and meaning completely different things. Um, and so I actually teach one of my uh, ways to, I think you called it the loops. I call it a negative spiral. Mm -hmm. um, to get out of a negative spiral is the four A's. And the first A is acknowledge or become aware. And so it's that, oh, this thing is happening to mm -hmm. me. I need to actually become conscious of it. And then the second is to ask, what is happening? <laughs> what is the story I'm telling myself? What is the physical sensation I'm experiencing? Like, just get curious. The third, and this is where it differs from cognitive behavioral psychology and, you know, some of the other stuff is accept. Most of us, we, when we, you know, realize that we're in some negative spiral or a loop or whatever, we usually say, God, why am I doing this again? Why can't I just get over this? <laughs> why can't I just let go? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then we're, all we're doing is we're like deepening the trench. Yeah. And so we have to accept where we are, I say, with kindness and grace. And this is the opportunity to really shift um, because if we stay on that same negative talk, then again, all we're doing is, like you said, sublooping sub or digging a deeper um, uh cavern. And so when we can talk to ourselves in kindness and grace, like we would to our best friend, then we can actually shift out. And so the final A is, is um, activate. So activate a different thought or get out of your head altogether. This is where mindfulness comes in, quote unquote. This is where you can start to pay attention to your breathing or to the sun on your face or gratitude or whatever it is, something that actually redirects your thoughts. So part of, uh, let's say, we'll put you back into Google. You're back mm -hmm. there. You're at your office. The kids are you know, at daycare and whatever <laughs> yes. was going on in that Somebody else is watching them. Somebody else is <laughs> doing all me. that. Yes. And, and in that process, um, you, it sounds like you were choosing not to necessarily feel at that time that that was a place you were pushing away. Well, I mean, I would at the time, I definitely wouldn't have said that. I would have said, oh, yes, I feel everything. I am so deep in my inner work and I'm doing all the practice. And I had to keep going through all my other experiences to realize that, nope, there's always more undoing to be done. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the plays on the art of undoing is that um, it is always undone. 
we feel like we're being undone in the process because, you know, it usually means that there's some shattering of these layers or self-protection and it's always undone and we're always works in progress. Hmm. At the time, I would have thought that I was, you know, super far ahead and I, and I was, but yes, there were, there were a lot of things that I wasn't feeling. And for me, I mean, my mom is a psychologist. Like I grew up hearing all about feelings and talking about feelings, but I didn't feel them. I knew how to talk about them and not how to feel them. Mm-hmm. And and I and I I had built what I called like these two boxes and I would go to the bottom of the first box, but the 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 one that was stacked underneath it with, that held all my like big ugly feelings, quote unquote big ugly. Um I I didn't know how to even process them and I thought they were so shameful or so bad or so powerful that I didn't even want to get close to them. And I think that the more that we actually feel, not our feelings, but we feel, the easier it is to start to feel our feelings. And we can start with these small micro decisions. And the more we do this with practice, the easier it is to go into some of the bigger stuff. We don't, we're not going to, you know, change in one big movement. It changes with all of these little micro decisions that we make over and over and over again. And the more practice we get with this, the easier it becomes. We've done a lot of um, describing and talking about the beginning points of undoing, but there's a lot more to that. So if this has resonated with people, how can they get in touch with you, Erica? If your audience wants to go deeper with me, and I would love for you to, please visit my website at ericagertis.com. I write a lot about my journey and uh, a lot of the guidance that we've been talking about here today. And I also have a great free activity that um, will help you feel more um, happiness and confidence almost immediately. So you can grab that for free on my website. So just to be clear, why don't you go ahead and spell out your URL so people Perfect. can get it. Yeah. Yes, it's www.erica is E-R-I-K-A, Gertis is G-E-R-D-E-S dot com. So ericagertis.com. And we'll put that in our show notes too, so people can just click and find you. Yes, perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. This has just been great and, and a great introduction on how to at least begin to be aware that there's something bigger and so that you can then follow the path and, and figure out what to undo. Exactly. Create the path because there that is go. what we are all intended to do. And what I will say just in final um, notes is that I really do believe that when we are we are most impactful, when we are most authentic, and that the world really does need the unique impact that each of us can make. We all have the ability to change the world. We have to start by changing ourselves. Amen. Thank you. That's Thank good you work. so Thank, much. Thanks for being here. Thank you. listening to the Thriveology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thriveology.com or at thriveologymagazine.com. Remember that Thriveology is spelled T-H-R-I-V-E-O-L-O-G-Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Thriveology.